Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. That was your advanced planning. You stalled the start of the show for that as your intro? Well, I was trying to come up with something, and then, you know, the cat was singing the song of his people, and we had to give him a chance to finish and see if anybody responded, because that's what he does. He's not done, and no one has responded. Okay. Um. And now we have lost the four people in our audience. Well, we're at that point in the season where I think truly only the teams and the press really get excited. Okay. Well, we're getting ready to start the European leg of the season. Right. That's a big deal. Well, it is, especially if you're talking, you're, you're part of the teams or the press, because, well, if you're teams, you don't have to travel quite as far. But if you're the press, it means the teams roll out their hospitality units, and they don't have to use the, the dodgy hospitality units that are at the track. The teams actually, you know, the Red Bull Power Station uh, makes its debut for the year, and all the various other places that the press likes to hang out that we never get invited to. But that's not why this is such a big deal. The start of the European season, because the distance is so much shorter, is oftentimes when we start to see some of the first major upgrades. Major yeah. upgrades. Yeah, because... We get to see, did that thing that they thought might work is going to be a horrific flop? See McLaren. Um, or is Mercedes going to figure out their cooling problem so that perhaps they're not on the back foot all of a sudden? Well, see, when you get to the cooling problem, and, and, yeah, we're, we're jumping around a little bit, and I really don't have an article to, uh, about it. But the question that I have is, okay, so Mercedes, or particularly Lewis, had a cooling issue in Russia, one of his problems. And we mm -hmm. heard the radio calls about that. But they just came from Bahrain, where it was hotter. And yeah. we didn't hear anything about cooling. We didn't hear the complaints. We didn't hear performance concerns, anything like that regarding cooling in Bahrain. They ran for a week in the desert during the day, and we didn't hear issues about cooling. So why was what was so special about Russia? And a lot of people coming out of that race were going, what was so special about this race? Why are we here? But that's a whole well, other story. Well, actually, I can tell you. Okay. Um, there's a lovely tech analysis article in Motorsport this week yeah, on the cooling issue. And it has to do, and this is my non-technical analysis of the technical analysis, that they changed some of the rear end bits okay. to increase downforce in the back end, and that hampers cooling. So the back end of the car it was actually different between China and Ru China and Russia were different than the Australia Bahrain setup. Okay. So that is some of it. Um, what they said was the acceleration of this airflow. That's the airflow that was allowing for the downward pressure in the back um, around the trailing edge of the cooling unit should also result in a suction effect in the air flowing through the cover, improving the overall cooling performance and that's what they were trying in um china and russia but i don't think it went well or something to that effect there non-technical analysis for a technical article but it's a good article you should read it okay well you know but before we, we get to that thanks to fernando alonda fernando alonso and maybe me actually being able to use some words we have to talk about indycar we do yes because Fernando, 
Well, you know, he, he, we're three weeks away from his debut, his being a rookie again. Oh, yes. That's more important than anything else, is that he's a rookie again. And, you know, hopefully Alexander Rossi is going to make him go through all the rookie hazing rituals, every single one of them. I hope so. Two-time world champion, my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I've won this race. You haven't. Sit in the back row. You you have to clean the, the team bathroom with your toothbrush. I did it last year. Now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after meeting my bud, Alexander Rossi, I don't think that he would be that cruel. He just seemed like such a good guy. I mean, anybody that's willing to take a selfie with me on his way to the, the practice starts. Hey, speaking of selfies and drifting away just a touch, you're still staying with Formula One. Okay. So this past week, um, Formula One.com did a background article on Nico Hulkenberg. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a little personal look at some of the things. Besides the fact that he seems to have this, it, it doesn't sound like he is a Trump fan, but he does have a fascination with Donald Trump. When, the thing that he said he does, he dislikes the most about being a Formula One driver is taking selfies with fans. He doesn't like doing it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Is he okay taking photos with fans that is just the selfie thing? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was like a one-sentence thing that, that he just he dislikes taking selfies with fans. Interesting. I'll have to note this whenever I eventually meet the six-foot-tall um, driver. Because I'm a, I'm a, I like Hulk. I really do. I think he's given the short end of the stick. He's won so much. And then not to have a good winning record in Formula One kind of hurts my heart. He's been close. But anyway, back to Fernando. Back, Back to IndyCar. Okay. Um, for starters, the, he started the week, um, or, or he started off in Barber with his preparation. We talked about this earlier. Uh, a lot of rumbling, you know, since Fernando didn't start the race, that um, on his walk back to the pit, from where the car died, that he was trying to find an earlier flight out to Barber, but couldn't, so he had to stick around. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but... So far, Fernando has given his thoughts. He says, for starters, everything is different there. It was quite an intense weekend at Barber. Then from there, I flew to Indianapolis for a seat fitting with the team to go through some of the stuff on preparation for the race. Then this past Tuesday, he was in the simulator for the first time. So his first experience on ovals in a simulator. He said, of course, the real car will be very different because in a simulator, it is easy to go 230 miles per hour and not lift in the corners because nothing will happen. I think the real car will be a little bit more difficult, but at least I had the possibility to see the car, to see the efforts that you need to do in the corners. I remain very open until I test the car. I don't know exactly how tough will be the challenge to drive those cars. What is for sure is the impression of how big is the Indy 500. It has increased, in my opinion, after these days. How the people get super excited about the race there. How important is the race there for everybody. I walked in the airport in Indianapolis, in Chicago, and everyone is stopping me and shaking my hands, wishing me good luck. So it, it was like being in Spain for a moment. Definitely a big change in America for this race. I saw, uh, I saw also the audience on television was 50% more share on that race, so definitely a bigger impact than what I thought in the beginning. 
I am used to walking in America quite relaxed, and I used to spend holidays in the U.S. because no one recognized you and you had some privacy. It was not like that in the airports, at least. <laughs> Somebody knows who you are now. Yeah, a lot of people know who he is. So he went from uh, his simulator team his simulator time uh first we saw the uh his car he will be driving and delivery and which is unusual for indy quite frankly because they don't do livery rollouts not like formula one does they don't but a lot of teams do run special livery just for the indianapolis 500 true so that that's part of what this is but you know everybody wants to know what the car is going to look like since it's mclaren's return we heard it was going to be an orange and what was going to happen sure enough it's an orange they say it's orange it looks more like a yellowy color to me oh i don't know you're a boy you're not as in tune to colors as but it is an orange and the thing i noticed is that it's a mix of mclaren's f1 sponsors and andretti's indycar sponsors oh okay so We've got Shandon on there and S&P and, and Hilton and Richard Meal, which are all McLaren sponsors. And then we've also got NTT Communications, which is an Andretti Herdick sponsor. Got it. So, and it also it got me wondering, you know, the negotiation that had to take place here. Because you've got... Some sponsors who were quite possibly bumped off the original car that was supposed to run in Indy, and other sponsors, the Formula One sponsors, who are now, how you know, how do you negotiate that deal where it wasn't in the plan for them to get exposure in IndyCar, but now they are going to? Well, don't you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to um, Wilson, Owen Wilson, not talking mm -hmm. to him, talking about him. About him. Yes. Uh, let's be clear. Um, talking about o Owen Wilson's deal and what happened to him and the promises that had to be made. And one of the key promises was that his sponsors would still get uh, prominence during the indie weekend. So even if they got rolled off the car for some reason, mm -hmm. um, and we would have to make a, we would have to kind of do a checklist to see how many got rolled off versus those that continued on in the car. But some of those that got rolled off the car are getting exposure in other parts of the weekend to make up for it. But that was one of the parts of the deal for him to step away. I think it was his sponsors got things other than the weekend, but then there were Andretti sponsors that are on the car. Is yeah, what I, I think, think that's that what it is, is Andretti part. sponsors, because Napa's on there, mm -hmm. which and, and Napa is uh, an Andretti sponsor. Um, Sunoco and Firestone, which I don't think are so much Andretti sponsors as IndyCar sponsors. Right. Um, but CNN is on there, and they're not typically, I think, an IndyCar sponsor. Um, and a couple of others that I, names that I don't recognize. Johnny Walker's on there, which they've got the tie-ins with McLaren. So, right. But I think that Owen's Owen's specific sponsors are not on the car. Yeah. Um, and that was something that we had to discuss a couple of weeks ago about this this deal that came together so very quickly. And you gotta give them credit for how fast that deal came together, given all of the moving parts that have to be agreed to. Well, not just that, but I don't think any of us really recognized up until 
seeing this car and you know us pointing it out of how complex that negotiation had to be it mm -hmm. wasn't just a matter of okay we're going to repaint the car we'll swap out the drivers and it's good no there was a lot more to this in order to get this in place oh, yeah. and I don't think that really dawned on us until this week. Yeah, I think it's definitely um, telling. Um, before we step away from Alonzo, did you happen to see the article that interviewed Mark Weber about Alonzo and McLaren? Uh, no. So Weber has an interesting, it's the clickbaity um, headline. And that's probably why I ignored it. Well, it was an interesting headline, but he has an interesting quote about the current state of McLaren um, talking, and the, the clickbait piece was that Fernando is running McLaren. And I knew that you would love that statement because I know that you and I have discussed at nauseum about how Fernando is his own hamper to success. Yeah. Um, so if Fernando is actually running McLaren, maybe we have an answer as to what is going on at McLaren that's breaking it. But... That was where I started with this whole thing. And then I read further, and uh, Weber has a very interesting viewpoint. Um, yes, the team is hampered by Honda, but that wasn't the gist of the article. It was actually much more about the leadership of Fernando and how it affects it, how it affects our favorite flying waffle, Staffel Van Dorn. Um, so... He says that Mark says that he likes Stoffel a lot, that he's got his head screwed on and he sees the big picture quite nice for his age. And he's very, very good career in that front. Mm -hmm. um, but what he also sees is that um, Stoffel has this advantage of having Fernando leading that part of the team, that he can learn a lot um, and, uh, and move forward. Um, Speaking of Honda's relationship, he says that they are at a critical point relationship-wise. You can't go on like that. There has to be a huge performance lift from Honda, and there has to be a change. Or there has to be a change. McLaren can't go racing for P14. There is, that's just not going to happen. Um, they won't have a business at the end of the day if they don't find a solution fast, is what Weber has to say. And, and he's right about that. The, the other thing is, well, yes... On one part, this allows Stoffel to step back and learn and see what happens because Fernando is taking the lead here. But the other thing to remember is that while Stoffel is a rookie, Stoffel is not a young driver. Right. And he needs – if he wants to retain a seat in Formula One, he needs to be able to show what he can do. And it, as of right now, the only time that he's really been able to show what he can do was the last year in Bahrain. And as long as this car keeps performing at the level that it is, I think that masks Stoffel's potential and actually could harm his future prospects. It really could. I mean, being strapped with a bad car, even if you're a good driver, is not beneficial to your future career. Um, but I hold out hopes for the Flying Waffle. I really do. But Mostly because I get to call him the Flying Waffle. But since we're still talking about Fernando and IndyCar... Okay. Back to where we were again. Back Sorry. <laughs> you led with, in our pre-show prep, the hours and hours of pre-show prep, you said to me three separate times, there's not a lot of stories this week. I'm trying to fill in gaps, but I don't know where your gaps are, so I'm doing the best job I can. Don't complain about me stuffing the gaps. Back to where we were. Okay, IndyCar again. Okay. 
so Fernando this week also had his first test of the IndyCar. He was actually out on the oval. So not just did he do the, the simulator. He was on the oval. This was a single-car test. Now, right. As part so of his test, among other things, he did the required IndyCar orientation where you've got the, the way this works is you've got specific performance targets you have to hit and if you can't hit them because you don't have the nerve or whatever you don't get to drive oh so this is not the this is a steering wheel this is a tire that's the, the wall, wall don't, don't hit, hit it, it. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that kind of orientation N- not that kind of an orientation this is the can you safely drive the car on the track without killing yourself and oh. doing it at race speed the needed race speeds okay so just the one car this was broadcast in a youtube and facebook live uh video mm-hmm. um live broadcast which is not normally done there were overall throughout this whole session over two million people viewed this Wow! with a peak of seventy thousand concurrent viewers for one car now, just to go a little further, um, the circuit put on a full broadcast of the event. They had a studio panel, in-depth interviews, and fly-on-the-wall access of everything that was going on. So it wasn't just like, here's the webcam up in the corner of turn two, and you're seeing Fernando zip around. This was a full-on production that they did for one car. Well, it's Fernando. I mean, the hype that's going into this across the two sports is pretty major. Yeah. Um, So overall viewership was split between 950,000 views on IndyCar's official Facebook page and 1.2 million viewers on the official IndyCar YouTube channel on YouTube. It was also one of YouTube's top 10 trending videos of the day. Now, to put this in further perspective... Those numbers exceed what many categories like, oh, Formula One and MotoGP get for race highlights and incidents. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and it was midweek. (laughs) So what was Fernando's verdict on the experience so far? His first test, his first time to get out there in the car on the oval at Indy. He explained how it went. He said, for starters, he knew that Marco Andretti, who shook the car down in the morning, was flat out in turn one. So I said, I will do flat turn one flat out because I know that the car is able to do it. I arrived in turn one, and I was convinced that I was doing flat out, but the foot was not flat. It had its own life. It was not connected to my brain at that moment. <laughs> on the second or third lap, I was able to do it. But on the first lap, it was definitely a very good feeling to be able to feel the respect of the place, the respect of the car, the respect of the speed. For any racing driver, that feeling is pure adrenaline. So it was a good day. But he also went on to talk a little bit about the car and the process and how this works. One of the things that he said is that it's a whole lot simpler to get going in an Indy car. Yes. Um, I was amazed by that part of the article. Yeah. He said, they ask you if you are already inside the car. You say yes. You switch on the car and you go. In Formula One, it takes maybe six minutes to fire up the car because they need to check, recheck. There's so much technology there. Many things slow down every run. Here, it's more fun because you just switch on the engine and you race. I thought that was pretty telling because you don't see that as being a difference. 
You know, you don't. Do you remember Hammond, uh, Richard Hammond in the old version of Top Gear doing, I think it was him talking about Formula One cars and how they were, you know, on an IV support system and, you know, the temperature of the oil had to be just right or the car wouldn't go. And, you know, just this and just that. There's more to it than that. The car, because he was prepping to drive, I want to say it was a 2009 or two, well, Regardless of the year, it was Fernando Alonso's world championship winning Renault that he was getting ready to drive. Right. But he had to do, he, in order to get to that point, he had to drive like their, their two thirds or their three quarter powered yeah, Renault. Yeah, he, he stepped up through the various ranks of the prep series to start figuring it out. And then he couldn't get the Formula One car out the crotch. Right. Because he kept he, stalling it. He kept stalling it. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's pretty. That to me is very telling um, that you can't ease into that in Formula One, and yet you can just, you know, it starts, it goes, you go. You know, I think there's probably still some of the anti stall and some of the other stuff, but when you've got experience driving a Formula One car, doing well, the other things are easy. But yeah, I, I, I meant know what more you're... from the garage standpoint. Okay, it wasn't the intravenous oil pumping through that had to be at a certain temperature at a certain time, and you know. Okay, given that from what you've seen of an IndyCar garage, they're brushing the cobwebs out of the corners, and there's an engineer standing off to the side eating a jelly donut as everybody else is working on it. What do you expect? <laughs> Whose car was it that we took? We saw absolutely taken apart. Oh, it was Max Chilton's car. Was it Chilton's car? Yeah, because his engine blew up that morning. Yes, and they were rushing, they to, were get rushing to get it to, so he could get on the grid that afternoon for mm-hmm. the race. And um, we watched, they brought sandwiches into the engineers and the mechanics that were working. And I watched a guy put the sandwich in one of the compartments of his uh, toolbox, toolbox. Um, on a napkin. I mean, that mm-hmm. was it. That was the, the nod to it, on a napkin. But he would take a bite of the sandwich and work on a part. Take a bite of a sandwich and work on a part. And there were no gloves. Like, you know how you see a lot of the, the guys in Formula One, they've got their... their uh, mm-hmm blue gloves on so that they don't get their own stuff on it yeah yeah there was none of that in that that situation it was crazy See, but but seeing the garages at mid-ohio does that really surprise you no <laughs> no so now let's firmly focus on formula one for a bit okay we can focus again as you recall two weeks ago bernie eccleston was on his sympathy tour Yes. Oh, woe is me. I could have done more, but I was told not to. I really love Formula One. I wasn't trying to screw any of you. Well, maybe not. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, the my extortion payments were too high, so I can't buy Interlagos. Yeah. Well, no, he didn't say he couldn't buy Interlagos. He just said that his extortion payments might have been a little on the high side. And that's that's why I think. But it was not his fault that they were on the high side because he was told to make it as prime for sale as humanly possible. Yeah. Well, we're starting to get some reaction from various parties about Bernie's sympathy tour. Mister Mister Handlebar Mustache himself, maybe. Well, before we get to him, actually, from the uh, chief executive of the Sepang Circuit. Dato Raslan Rizali. Wow, you know, better you than me on that one. 
you know Sepang, the home of the Malaysian Grand Prix, which announced this year that they're not hosting this race anymore. Exactly. Um, he had some something to say about Bernie's comments. What did he have to say? He said, I just felt ripped off in some ways, even though we were not forced to sign the agreement. But to come up with a statement like that, how does it make us feel? All this time you have been overcharging us, and we are not getting what we want, such as good racing and access to drivers and teams. Of course, nobody put a gun to our head, but for you to come up with comments like that makes us feel worse. It makes us feel like we've been conned, and we're not getting what we paid for. So, and, and, and he was saying this to, to Autosport. Bernie responded through Reuters oh. in an interview. He said, nobody made him look stupid. And it's difficult to make people look stupid. If they are, they are. They have done a very good job with the motorcycles. He's fallen in love with the motorbike racing, and they apparently make money, and that they apparently make money from. With Formula One, they don't make money. And what I said was, we haven't been delivering what they bought. Not our fault. We don't make the show. But thankfully now, if Ferrari keep up their job and the other people do the same, we'll have very good racing, and then things should be a lot better for the promoters. They should be able to sell tickets. He doesn't make the show, but he makes the show. I mean, seriously, from one comment to the next comment, he's not even consistent. Manipulates everything to, to manipulate the show, but he doesn't make the show. Right. All right. He manipulates the whole situation, but when it fails, it's not his fault. How quickly he forgets Double Dobby. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> or the um, knockout elimination in qualifying that went for three races too long. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the only response we got because sure enough, as you mentioned, Handlebar ex Mustache Extreme, Chase Carey, had his own comments. What did our darling friend, Mr. Chase Carey, have to say? Well, he spoke with a publication called the Press Association. Um, and what he said was that, I want to be saying yes to a whole lot more. What is the value of having an idea if the answer to everything you want to do is no? All it does is create frustration. There are an array of things that weren't done that needed to be done. We felt it was a sport for, that for the last five or six years had really not been managed to its full potential or taken advantage of what was here. All of us make mistakes and nobody is perfect. Bernie took a business from decades ago and sold it for $8 billion. He deserves all the credit in the world for what he has done. But in today's world, you need to market a sport. We were not marketing the sport. Wow. He also went on to talk a bit about Bernie's decisions. And in some way, he gives some credence to some of the things that Bernie was saying a couple of weeks ago. And in the other, he completely destroys it. Right. So what he had to say is that it's been three months, and we've been very clear that one of the things the sport has not been served well by is a continued short-term focus and what we are going to do next week. We care more about where the sport is going to be three years from now than three months from now. Bernie was always very focused on the short term, and our focus is on building long-term value. Some of the decisions that were made needed to have a better process to think through. 
Um, the current engine, for example, ended up being too complicated, too expensive, and lost some of the sound that added to the mystique of the sport. We will do things, and some things take time. You are not going to have a new engine in two months, because if you tried to do that, you are going to do more harm than good. We want to make sure that we have the tools to manage the business as opposed to throwing things out there so somebody in, has a media story. Right. I, th- I mean, I think that he's very wise in the way he's approaching it. He even mentioned that the reason they brought on um, Braun and what's his... Sean Bratches. The eyebrows. Sean Bratches. Um, was specifically to get a five-year plan. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very important. And, and Ross Braun had been pushing many years for an actual five-year plan to get put in place, and that that's the the roadmap that Formula One should be looking at. Mm-hmm. And typically what ended up happening is those decisions that he would recommend that they make uh, now targeting five years out, they'd make two months before. Right. <laughs> I mean, and I think that that just – the. The downhill flow of that leads to not having Concord agreements in place, you know, up until the last minute, to having these in-season rule changes that require unanimous support from the teams versus um, doing it in a methodical way and going, okay, this is what we're looking to do mm-hmm. next year or the year after, so that it's methodical and you get the teams to buy off on it because it's not tomorrow. Oh, as opposed to one person with crazy hair waking up and going, you know what we need? We need sprinklers. <laughs> Double points on more races. Yeah. Well, also looking and making recommendations for the future mm-hmm. is your favoritest team boss in the entire paddock. My favoritest one? Yes. Are we talking sarcastic favoritist one or our actual favoritist one? I don't know. I think that's kind of interchangeable. <laughs> We're talking about Monisha, aren't we? Absolutely. And actually, <laughs> this time, she does not deserve mocking. <gasps> no, don't destroy my worldview. No, she. as a matter of fact, she is uh, coming out in support of something that we have mentioned a few times. In that the management structure and organiz- or, or the commercial structure for the teams and how they interact and how they participate should be a franchise system, very similar to what we see with uh, Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL and things like that. And she's got some good reasons for it. Okay. Um, what she says is that I think it makes sense to have that kind of a system. For me, the most important thing is that the value of the sport and the value of each team is improved. Because we do ideally want to be in a world where it takes a lot to come in, but then when you are in, you have a certain income and a certain existence. Maybe not guaranteed, that is too strong a word, but given. You don't have to fear that you won't be able to exist at this level, because the sport is giving you enough income to have a business that works. You don't need to have a huge profit, but one that allows you to be competitive in the sport. Maybe not for the top three, but if you are among 10 in the midfield. So that's the idea behind this, and that's something very good for the sport. If we do that kind of a franchise system, I think it's important that the brands which are in the sport are preserved. But that, again, adds value to your franchise. Yeah. 
So I wow. think that Monisha needs to fully credit us for this because we've been talking about this for, what, three years now? I think it's just proof that she is a huge Bloke and the Bird follower. No, because I think if she was a Bloke and a Bird follower, we'd get a lot more emails from her. <laughs> that would be rather angry. Are you saying, well, maybe she's a Bloke follower and not a Bird follower because, you know, I'm sure that she likes me as much as I like her. Just a reminder, Monisha, in case you need it. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. P.O. Box 3273. Seriously. (laughs) Maybe one of her top advisors is a really big show follower and agrees with our unabashed, uncensored assessment of her strengths and weaknesses. Or should I list that as weaknesses and strength? Maybe it's just Peter Sauber. Maybe he's a big fan. Yeah. I think we're making inroads into the Sauber organization. That's what I think is happening. Maybe. You you just keep telling yourself. (laughs) Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. Okay, guys? (laughs) Um, So. Last week, um, we heard that there was some agreement at looking at a cockpit shield of sorts right to replace the arrows or not the arrow screen the halo, the halo that was hated the arrow screen failed um well it looks like at the very least we should see them uh or at least the first test of them in monza you put them on the car get an idea of what the drivers think of them um i don't think we're going to get any impact testing or anything like that that may happen off the car first but our first looks at, at what the drivers think of them and how they're going to impact our view uh, should be Monza. Okay. That's the target. And then there's Renault. And then there's Renault. Interestingly enough, a couple of days after this article came out, Cyril Abitbull, the, the um, managing director over at Renault F1, said, you know, I really think the team is hitting their stride and we're bringing things back together and things are really starting to shape up and get better. And we are really, the, the team is starting to gel and we're seeing all the improvement that we need to have. This was two days, maybe it was three, after Renault announced that they're pushing back their plans to introduce their uh, next upgrade for their engine from Montreal to hopefully before the end of July. Oh, it's like a month delay. Not just a month delay, but hopefully before the end of July means hopefully we get it in before the summer break. Wow. Yeah. They are still, there are still concerns about the durability of the engines and that's just on the dyno tests. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. You know, that's like T-minus seven days before uh, Mr. Horner starts complaining about it. Well, that, you know, that's the question is what's going to happen. And and when will Red Bull turn around and start yelling again? Um, The estimate is that teams will probably switch over to uh, their second scheduled power units either – for this coming week in Spain or for Monaco. So they've been running the same engine. But third units maybe around Britain or Hungary. So at this point, maybe that's when they get the upgraded engine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Britain's going to be the first 
weekend in July. So yeah, that would at least make it before the summer break, but still. And since they're pulling third after Mercedes and Ferrari right now, that's tough. Yeah, I, I don't think that we're going to see Red Bulls challenging this year. Uh, and maybe that's the way it is with these new Renault engines, is that we go with this every other year thing. Mm. Have a good year, then a crummy year. Then a good year, then a crummy year. And this year just apparently seems to not be Renault's year. So what does that say about McLaren? I mean, it's what is it's this? A not... re, it's a rebuilding decade. Leave them alone. <laughs> these things take time, I tell you. Rebuilding decade. It's a rebuilding decade. Okay. I'll go with that. Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah, but it burned down very, very quickly. <laughs> okay, so that's where they are. Is it the, the the big bonfire stage right now? But hey. <laughs> speaking of bonfires. Oh, I was speaking about Red Bull, but if you want to go a different direction, because nope. again. Yeah, I'm obviously taking us in tangents. No, finish about Red Bull. Well, all I have is that Total Wolf came forward and said that one day, one day, Max Verstappen will drive for Mercedes. Okay. And then he went went and walked off and did his evil lap. <laughs> well, that's all fine and dandy, but that's like saying one day Vettel will drive for Mercedes. It's theoretically possible, but we shall see. Um, I was just wondering, had you checked on any of your... Uh, bids for Manor's uh, fire sale. Oh, see, I wasn't going to mention that. Oh, well, Manor's got a fire sale. You should mention it. Yeah, the, the Manor auction is going on. Um, every single one of the body bits from cars all the way back to 2014, they're now going for over 300 pounds. Oh. Every single one of them. And if you wanted one of the Manor uh, 2017 uh, wind tunnel cars, Last I looked, they were running about 17,000 pounds. Uh, steering wheels were over 3,000 pounds. Well, the unworn, unused race suit from Alexander Rossi. That spike too. Yeah, that one's like at 500 pounds now. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm pretty sure you can get, if you're interested in used uh, wheel nuts... Mm-hmm. Race used wheel nuts for reasonable prices, like well under sixty pounds. Some of them in lots of like four for under sixty pounds. Wow. Um, what would one do with a used Formula One wheel nut? The only thing I could think of it. Well, there's a couple of things. There is actually they're all essentially the same thing. You, you'd probably use it as like a paperweight. Or there is, and it's a company that specializes it, and they've got a partnership with Force India and Mercedes and I think one other team. They'll go in and put them in Lucite with a little plaque so that you can have it as a paperweight. Oh, and I think they'll charge you about $300 for that. Oh. So here's your chance to get it for 40 bucks. Not, Not in, in Lucite, Lucite, so you can actually touch it. There's that. There's that. I'm wondering if, depending on the size, I'm wondering if you could create it in such a way that it could be a coaster. I don't, I think it might be a little heavy for that. But maybe you want to use some suspension bits because there were suspension bits, carbon fiber suspension, a lot of that. Um, I have to go take a look. 
because there were a lot of Ferrari exhaust manifolds that were up for sale yes. in this auction. And we got an email this week that some items had been removed from the sale because it turns out they weren't actually owned by Manor. And I'm kind of wondering if those Ferrari exhaust manifolds were what they were talking about. That, that could be it. But they have everything from pit lane jacks to um, pit lane helmet, pit crew helmets to... Many of them unused. I don't know about many, but a few of no, them. A lot of them okay. were unused. Um, to, uh, like we mentioned, the wheel nuts, the wheels, lots and lots and lots of small aerodynamic bits. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fins, um, like the front wing fins. Yeah, elements off kits. the front wings and stuff like that. Um, and in a whole box of what was called wonky wings. We're not sure what those are. Wonky rings. No, they were wings. Oh. With a W. Wings with a W? I thought I saw yes. rings with an R. Um, but they were listed as wonky. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. There were some lots that I was looking at that were like four boxes of stuff. I mean, it was like yeah. four boxes of bits. No idea what's in those boxes of bits. But. If you're looking for um, a Formula One fuel bowser with printer, yeah, there were several of those available. Pit lane carts with generators. Um, um, there were also, if you needed a Dell computer, Dell laptop, no Dell tower computers, I think there were something like 26 lots of them. They had the computer, various things, probably all old monitors, keyboards, mice, all in packages. Some of them in lots of six. Yeah. Um, laptops. Yeah. All, every monitor had a laptop, uh, had a, um, keyboard and mouse that went with it that i found and you could get lots of six for like 180 pounds um stools from the shops i didn't see the stools yeah you could get uh if you do a search for model you'll see the model shop stools among others Ah. um there's been pictures of the transport i need to go see if they're there also not that I know how we would get that shipped over, but I think that would be awesome to have the Manor Hospitality trailer in our set backyard. Up in our, no, in our driveway. Oh no, we would set it up in the backyard because we have HOA rules that would prevent it from being in our driveway. Yeah, but it would sink in the backyard. Well, if we did it right, it would be like you know, it'd be like an outbuilding. <laughs> We're gonna redo the deck anyway. We could make it around. You know, put the the Manor. There you go. A hospitality suite. We'd have to figure out how we could get it powered so that it could be air conditioned and such. Because I can imagine it would be uncomfortable. Or if you're going to run run it in the back, you could just run the, the household line right to it. It's cool. Uh, but it probably also has back its to own that generators. extension cord. It's got generators. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, last week, the Russian Grand Prix. Yeah. It was what? The third running or the fourth running? Fourth. It is now a race that has become firmly established on the calendar. A race that, now that we are at the fourth running of it, people just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, we're going to rush again. There's it's... not much to it. There, with the exception, I think, this year of Valtteri Bodas, mm-hmm. the vast majority of folks are pretty much indifferent to how this race went and what happened because there was nothing but Valtteri picked up his first win Valtteri did and and that is awesome and this is a track that he 
he has always been very strong. He loves. And he did extremely well at. But there wasn't a lot of there's never a lot of interest at this race. You gotta kinda wonder. I mean, nobody likes going to Sochi, it turns out, because well, the hotels suck. Um the pre the uh press box I guess is four five four or five stories up and for the first half of the week the elevator was broken. Ooh. That's yeah. not good. Martin Brundle, uh I think it was Martin Brundle who uh said posted a picture after that climb that he was out of breath and this is why and there are the guys working in the in the elevator pit. Yeah. You know, and if it's at all warm, because Sochi is supposed to be a little on the warm side, but I thought it was unusually cool this weekend. But if it was at all warm, you can imagine how much David Cothard's pants were sticking to him after he made that climb. I didn't need to know about that. I didn't even want to think about that. You cannot miss how tight his pants are. So Valtteri won. Yes. Um, he was about a half second ahead of Vettel, despite having a fairly large lead, and that was because he managed to flat spot his tires and come the end of the race. His tires were, uh, his front tire in particular, were severely damaged. Mm -hmm. um, possibly, if there were another two laps, he wouldn't have made it. Right. That's, yeah. There's your drama. There, right there. There's your excitement. It was not rated as a, Great race by pretty much anybody. Um, although Haas, it was worse than others. With Gene Haas describing, or, or excuse me, Gunther Steiner said that he was pissed off at the weekend. Okay. Because for that team, everything that can go wrong went wrong. Roman had issues with his brakes that ended up with him uh, in an incident. And then there was Kevin Magnuson's penalty, which we figured out what happened with this. Okay. So, as you'll recall, Kevin got told that he overran uh, track limits on turn two. Right. And was given a five-second penalty, and he argued it on the radio with his team and kept telling him, go talk to Charlie, go talk to Charlie. And they said, you know, we did. Well, what actually – what happened here, and the reason why Kevin was so upset was, yes, he went wide, and he knew he went wide, but – in the process of him re uh, returning to the track, he gave up a position. Mm -hmm. And his feeling, and I guess the team kind of agreed with him, was that since he gave up the position, that there shouldn't have been the need for a penalty. Yes, that, that would have been equal to going around the ball. And that's why he was so upset, because he gave up the position, and he thought that that was suitable enough as opposed to rejoining where he was supposed to rejoin. Well, I understand his position. However, the rule states you exceed track limits, you go around the bollard. I mean, yeah. that's the way it works. Yeah. I, it doesn't get, it, it it's not, does not say you exceed track limits, you go around the bollard, unless you give up a position. Well, you know. Or unless you decide you can give up this some other way. That was Kevin's position. What Gunther said on the issue, it was very simple, very, fairly straightforward. He said, I'm not even going to try to argue it. We were told, and we didn't do it. You live by your choices. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. I think that's fair. Yep. But we were trying to figure out why he was arguing it so much and what had happened, and we never saw the video. Right. So, 
And then speaking of Roman, Roman has been uh, elected to replace Jensen Button as a director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Oh. Uh, Jensen uh, informed, and, and I think if anything else, this truly goes and gives you the idea of what Jensen's mindset has been this year. Jensen notified the GPTA, GPDA that uh, he wanted to step down from his position as a director because he was no longer involved in racing full-time in Formula One or in Grand Prix racing in general. Right. So as a result, Roman was uh, elected to take the position uh, serving alongside Sebastian Vettel, who's also a director, and the president of the GPDA, Alex Vertz. Um, I think there's something else telling about that. Not just about Button's mental state. Okay. But about Roman. Yeah. Given the fact that in 2012 he was considered a danger on the track. Mark Webber calling him a first lap nutter. Exactly. And for him to have gone from the level of disrespect, the number of top-rated drivers, drivers out there that had been in the sport for a long time that said Roman had no respect, he didn't understand, he was unsafe, to suffering a... a he was sidelined for an entire race. He was because, black-flagged after Spa. Um, because he was considered unsafe to drive. Mm-hmm. If we go from that to getting the type of respect to becoming a director of the Drivers Association. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs. I mean, that might have been that the collective body all giantly took a step back and he didn't take a step back at the same time. <laughs> but I think that that says something for how far Roman has really come yeah. in his career. But as we all know, Jensen is not gone. No, he's coming back for Monaco. He's coming back for Monaco. He's doing just simulator time. Mm-hmm. However, given that, you know, Fernando has yet to finish a race with the car, and Stoffel, I don't think, has really had much more success with it, you got to think that this is probably Jensen's thought going into Monaco in three weeks. If we can get to the finish, I think it would be a massive uh, achievement for us. Yeah. And the worst part about it, as we have pointed out in the past, is that that's not a quote from this year. (laughs) No. It's a rebuilding decade. It is a rebuilding decade. Yeah. That's not even a quote from last year. Yeah. The thing that will amuse me is much like last year when Stoffel, our personal waffle, um, drove for Fernando in Bahrain and got McLaren's one and only point for like the longest time in that season mm-hmm. because Fernando had had a spectacular injury. I have this sick feeling that Button is going to go to Monaco and because he's like in that that headspace of I I don't have anything to lose, I don't have to push and all that kind of stuff. He's going to drive that car the way it needs to be driven and just fly through it. But because it's so processional in Monaco, he's going to wind up with points. Is that a possibility? You know, he's going to make it into Q3. He's going to be like, you know, 
eighth. I don't know about Q3, but he's going to okay. be like eighth. And I mean, he's just going to come in right under the point line, and it'll be the first points of the season for McLaren. And it will be to their one-time driver, the one that they pushed out the door. While they allowed their superstar to go play an Indy car, and I see him in the wall. So here, here's my question about Jensen. You know, we've been talking that there's all these complex deals to get Fernando where he wanted to be for IndyCar. Mm-hmm. So... Jensen is commonly accepted as being a resident of Monaco. Right. We know he he, he has talked that, you know, these three weeks in the build-up to it, he, he walks, you know, through the track to get to the shops to get his groceries and all that stuff. So, you know, it's like he's been... But as far as we know, just watching his social media postings and, and what little interaction he's had with the media, he's been in L.A. since, like, oh, October. Right. So, where's McLaren paying that T and E from? <laughs> is that coming from L.A.? Is that coming from Monaco? I mean, if they're getting a killer deal, if if it's from Monaco, but if he's been in L.A., you know, how how does that work? I'm quite sure that that's covered <laughs> in his contract at a flat rate, and uh, doesn't doesn't require that he be. You know, that they're not going to do the travel from L.A. versus travel from Monaco differential. It it will be, here are your millions of dollars to drive this race. So on that imponderable, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us some some comments over on the show notes over at uh, theblokeandthebird.com. Hear from you over on Facebook. Um, We really appreciate hearing from Phil with his question last week that hopefully um, our potentially made up answer was kind of close to credible (laughs) (laughs) always a show never hampered by actual facts yeah (laughs) you know maybe a review over on itunes or whatever your favorite podcast application is itunes changed their podcasting and they sent me an email and i've heard some of the other podcasts referred to however the bumper is that itunes wants you to use but since i deleted the email i don't know what they wanted but we're on itunes if you want to find us it's like insert appropriate bumper here it's like podcast with apple or something ridiculous i don't remember okay um I don't know if you knew this, but I think it was two months ago, there was a movement in the podcast world called Tripod. Yes. And um, so if you have suggestions for other podcasts that people Two months ago, to- we're bringing this up now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it fit in. I'm a little behind in my podcast listening. Okay. But other suggestions that you want to share. But I think that we should latch on and ask you to share our podcast with other people that you think would be interested. I agree with, with that part. The, the two-month piece, that was a little... Okay. I'm not asking anybody to hashtag it tripod. I'm just suggesting that you continue the movement. Okay. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? 
Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? <laughs>